0: This is not about politics.
1: This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm
0: a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in
1: slavery. I am Benjamin Day.
0: And I'm Stephanie Nakajima.
1: And this is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs healthcare.
0: Except for the scoundrels who burgled our office.
1: Oh my god, those bastards. Uh people may not know what happened to us to the healthcare now office. Stephanie, can you give them the lowdown?
0: Sure uh so apparently ever since uh people have stopped going into their offices the home burglaries have been down but uh, office burglaries have been on the rise and we unfortunately were the victim of a multi-unit sort of right down our block somebody just hit Mm -hmm. up everything um around us and uh I, they must not have known that we were just a collection of nonprofit profit organizations. Because Those
1: suckers. <laughs>
0: they they made a, a huge mess in our offices looking for money we did not have.
1: This is the only satisfaction I really gained from this episode, <laughs> was knowing <laughs> that we are so poor and we have so few assets of value that they probably, if they were like getting paid by the hour, I think they probably spent more time destroying our office than they received invaluable items stolen. So
0: Exactly. <laughs> Not a good investment,
1: but it was still a pretty shocking scene. I mean, they smashed in the wooden door. It was uh, the whole door frame was blown out. Um, we have a sign on the front door that says "Proceed with Caution, Solidarity Zone," and they smashed the sign. It was just like so <laughs> wrong. And then they just so pull- excessive. They opened every drawer, th- pull out everything out. They stole a bunch of loose cash that we had in the office. Um, they missed the stamps, which were actually more valuable than the cash, thank God. Um, some of our office mess, I think, played to our advantage here because we had valuables like hidden in stacks of other things. Um, but yeah, it's it sucked. You, you burglars slash robbers really are, are assholes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it did suck, even though we didn't lose a lot in monetary value, just some petty cash, and then obviously the damage to our office, I think, you know, the biggest thing the biggest price I feel like I paid was just the loss of security and not feeling very safe there really.
1: And that we now have an office without a door on it, which means (laughs) we can't use this office anymore and we are going to have to move, which it turns out is extraordinarily difficult to do with social distancing. I think me and my girlfriend are going to have to do it alone (laughs) somehow, uh, move that office out. Um, So if you can, please donate to us. We'll have a donate link in the, in the show notes. Um, it would really help us offset the cost of, that this move is now going to cost us. So shall we proceed to the much more better news, uh, American politics. <laughs> I'm <laughs> Always lying. pick me up. <laughs> I'm lying. Um, so the, the next biggest thing, obviously, in healthcare is going to be this phase four relief bill, uh, which they're calling like the CARES 2 Act, which is likely to start moving through Congress in the next week or two. Um, and the big question, for us at least, is, um, is there going to be any health care relief for the millions and millions of people who are losing their jobs and losing their health insurance coverage right in the middle of a massive health care crisis? Um, and there are now three bills that Democrats have, uh, different Democrats have proposed in the House side, um, and there's one on the Senate side um, but it's not entirely clear whether anything will go through the Senate at all. Uh, democratic leadership on the Senate side has not really made much noise about this. Um, but let's, let's go back to the, we've already talked about two of the house bills. We talked about, um, a bill that Senator Sanders and Rep Jayapal have, in, are, are going to introduce is actually not yet filed. This is called the healthcare emergency guarantee act. Um, But what it really is, is it would cover everyone with Medicare. Um, It would have no copayments, no deductibles. And even if you have private or public insurance already, then this bill would, uh, Medicare would cover all of your copays and deductibles. So basically, it would achieve all of the access goals of a Medicare for all system. Um, It would just temporarily be leaving in the private insurers and kind of providing wraparound. Um, And then-
0: But it is the like it is the Medicare Gateway bill.
1: Oh, is, no I doubt, think, no doubt. Yeah, yeah I think the so. We are going to be getting behind this bill. Most of the Medicare for All movement is going to be supporting this bill. I think our feeling is that you know, if you can get the experience of Medicare for All, even if you don't get all the financing and, and limiting the health insurance company, that it'll create real momentum to just do the full thing. And because uh, really, leaving the health insurance companies in there. It just me- makes it much more expensive to do. It's hard to afford universal health care if you don't kick them out, um, and you have to deal with them continuing to like deny coverage and using the system just for their own profits. So the other two bills we already talked about the shitty bill that Democratic leadership is pushing the well uh, the Worker Health Coverage Protection Act, um, and this would obviously be good for some folks. It expand it basically subsidizes Cobra. So this is if you happen to have good health insurance in the job that you left, then it would uh, subsidize you staying on your previous employer's plan. Um, But a lot of people would not qualify for that, Um, especially, you know, if you work at a small business. This is only Cobra only works if you work at a place that has 20 or more employees um and it only works if uh your health your previous employer still exists and if their their health plan still exists it doesn't work if your previous employer just went under or if they closed down their healthcare plan um and uh, obviously for the many people who didn't have health care coverage previously it would do nothing we know yeah. yeah
0: so just to give some numbers to illustrate the differences hmm. between these two bills um the uh, the Jayapal Sanders bill, uh, the Healthcare Emergency Guarantee Act, that bill would cover everybody who's currently uninsured, and that number is between 30 and 40 million and rising. Mm-hmm. You know, as people are kicked off uh, their their jobs and then kicked off their health insurance, and then of course it would also, because it would provide that wraparound coverage, um, it would basically it would basically affect everybody in the united states <laughs> 300 plus million <laughs> 300 million <laughs> whereas um the cobra bill the cobra for some bill that mm-hmm. um nancy pelosi is pushing would cover uh, at most four to five million people so wow. um, the scope is really different
1: yeah i hadn't even seen that projection but that is uh, shockingly inadequate for sort of what's facing us um, and we now have a third bill. If you weren't confused already, um, <laughs> this is uh, this is a bill introduced uh, this past week by Reps Jayapal and Reps Kennedy, who are both Medicare for All supporters. Um, and it's called the Medicare Crisis Program Act. Uh, we ne- we might need to rename all these bills, Deputy. Um, and their bill would uh, instead of I mean, the other thing about the Cobra bill is that it's just throwing public tax dollars at private health insurance companies. But this plan that Jayapal and Kennedy are introducing would expand Medicare, uh, extend Medicare to the recently unemployed. So basically people who have become unemployed due to, uh, you know, in the period of coronavirus would be allowed allowed to enroll in the Medicare program. Uh, but the thing that makes this, it's not nearly as good as the Sanders Jayapal bill um, because it leaves all of the, uh, almost all of the cost sharing and copays and deductibles, uh, under Medicare would still be there. Um, they did eliminate some of the, like the premiums that you have to pay, but you'd still have, uh, you know, part A, part B deductibles. You'd still have to buy a drug plan. If you want to have any drug coverage, you'd have the donut hole, all that, all those limitations that Medicare unfortunately comes with. Um, and then if you did not become recently unemployed, then you also wouldn't qualify for the program. Um, so in my opinion, it's it's better than the Cobra Bill. Um, it would cover more people, um, but it's still, I think, totally inadequate for what's needed in this crisis, and it makes kind of arbitrary distinctions about who gets in and who doesn't. So sort I don't know. Sort of like our current system. But yeah, but yeah, it would be better. Um,
0: it would be, it's like you know. a gateway light
1: right (laughs) um so we have like the the sanders jayapal act which is like improved medicare for all ish (laughs) improved medicare for all gateway drug (laughs) we have this the rep scott dingle pelosi bill which is like cobra for some ish (laughs)
0: The like you should have been a republican bill
1: right (laughs) they may be actually and (laughs) i mean this this is what I thought the Republicans were gonna push would be like let's subsidize private insurance but it turns out uh, there's been some like trading places going on over the decades um, so and then we have this new Paul Kennedy bill Medicare for the recently unemployed
0: so now we've got these three bills um, but none of it is really important the distinctions between the bills if nobody's actually gonna fight for any of these bills Mm -hmm. Um, and Pelosi for example I mean they introduced this bill but she hasn't really been talking that much about it Um, I'm not sure if there's been a lot of discussion about whether it's actually gonna be in the next phase of relief and um, and I think there's a reason that the Democrats haven't really tackled uh, the uninsurance problem um, which is just that there's no good solution for them I mean insurers want them to expand Cobra, Mm -hmm. which would be massively expensive and then, as we were talking about, cover only a fraction of uh, the newly insured, newly uninsured. Um, And the other option is, of course, you either expand private or you expand public insurance. And so the other option is to temporarily expand public insurance, which would cover more people and, of course, be far less expensive, but would also piss off the industry, not only because they aren't going to be receiving those subsidies uh, through COBRA, but because it would just be difficult to, to claw back, you know, expansion of public insurance. And it would also demonstrate a way for us to transition away from employer-based insurance. Okay. Um, so democratic leaders are just kind of stuck between these two forces, I think, and um, I, I think that maybe they're just hoping that all these people who had insurance—these are the ones they sort of have to worry about—the the, the people that they think cr- make up their base—they they hope that maybe they'll get their jobs back soon, and then they just won't have to deal with this whole problem.
1: Yeah, there's no question. The COBRA bill is is definitely designed for like the the more privileged workers, I think. Um, And I think for that reason, a lot of the labor movement is coalescing around the COBRA bill. Um, And these are many unions that do back Medicare for all and would prefer Medicare for all. Um, But for understandable reasons, you know, they tend to have good health, uh, you know, private health insurance based workplace plans. So for them, for their members, COBRA would actually 100 percent subsidies for COBRA would actually be a really good deal. It might actually be better than they were. You know, previously they their employees had to pay a lot into the those those, those premiums, um, and if we move them into like a Medicare that doesn't cover all their copayments and deductibles, it could be that Medicare would be worse for for their workers, uh, for some of them, the ones who had really really you know good good healthcare coverage into their previous workplaces. So you know, it's really I think unless you take this full step towards um, towards you know public health insurance it's really hard to just like kind of make incremental steps towards Medicare for all within the private insurance system, like leaving it intact. Um, You end up with all these perverse incentives and it's really difficult.
0: Yeah, and I think that just shows why Medicare for all really does have to be for all. It has to be everybody Mm -hmm. in and nobody out. It's so hard to get there incrementally because, you know, to have these different tiers of insurance uh, coverage, it's just so hard to, to navigate without everyone just being the same. Um, so uh, what's next? The, the Senate. Let's talk about the Senate, Ben.
1: Uh, well, if you weren't depressed already, um, <laughs> so the Senate, obviously uh, Republican-controlled, um, the Senate has been able to like get its act together, and uh, d- Democrats and Republicans have worked out deals for uh, a number of relief packages already. Um, but now things are starting to look ugly, like uh, it's going to be really hard to p- potentially pass anything, even a, a cares to Act at all through the Senate side. Um, and Democratic leadership on the Senate side, uh, Chuck Schumer has not said anything about health care coverage or relief for, the, for those who have lost health care, as far as I've been able to see. Um, he's been talking about all other priorities, like aid for cities and towns and states, uh, rent support, elections reform—you know, letting you vote uh, by mail or online, saving the postal service, hazard pay for essential workers—these are all extraordinarily important things. Um, but all of them seem to be on above healthcare relief uh, in the Senate side for Democrats. And then when you look at Republicans. Um, Mitch McConnell has been uh, saying that he's going to start demanding concessions if he wants to do any more aid packages. So he says, well, you know, maybe we can do aid for, you know, relief for states and municipalities. But if we do that, he wants all these other crazy shit like liability reform to protect healthcare providers, businesses and employees from lawsuits. Uh, I assume he's thinking here of once businesses start opening up, people are going to get coronavirus from, you know, opening too soon, states, especially Republican states, and he's thinking in advance of all the people who are going to get sued for, like, infecting customers by being unsafe, and he wants them not to be sued for that. Uh, good job, Mitch, really uh, looking out for the little guys here. Yeah, so you can um, get your
0: aid, but grandma has to die.
1: Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, and he wants to make sure that, you know, grandma's family doesn't get anything in return if if an employer, for example, does something super unsafe uh, that exposes their customers. So um, and there are Senate Republicans who are pushing for other things who are saying, OK, maybe we'll do some relief, but we want tax cuts. Like you've heard uh, uh, President Trump saying, well, a payroll tax would really be good for this crisis. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's no <laughs> one. Has, no one is working. What are you what are we going to do with a payroll tax? That's just going to create a massive deficit because we're obviously spending much more than normal. Um, so if there
0: was ever a time for redistribution. Right now.
1: Oh my God! So this is the the crazy shit that's going to go down in the Senate. So it's a question, Stephanie, whether any healthcare relief is going to make it through the Senate side.
0: Yeah, and it's so weird that they're not even like proposing, you know, an expansion of insurance, a public insurance, just as a signal to the base to let you know them know, you know, what we're going to fight for and create a contrast between ourselves and the Republican Party going into this super important election. Um, They can can even know that uh, Republicans are gonna kill it dead in the water, so they don't even have to be worried about proposing something that will actually go through. Um, And then they would also force Republicans to vote against something that would almost certainly be very popular, giving people insurance at a time that they're losing insurance. Um, And I guess they they don't want to signal at all that they're moving in the direction of more public and less private insurance because, you know, I just don't think that's where his heart is.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, another odd thing to, to mention is that um, only the Sanders bill has been introduced on the, is going to be introduced on the Senate side. There is no, as of now, there's no version of the Scott Dingle bill, uh, the Pelosi sort of leadership bill on the Senate side, and there is no Jayapal Kennedy bill on the Senate side. So, as of right now, the Sanders bill is the only game in town. Uh, But I wouldn't be surprised if we see some version of that COBRA expansion coming from Chuck Schumer and Senate leadership.
0: All right. So now that we've talked about our friends, time to talk about our enemies. (laughs) Um, We've talked a lot on this podcast about the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future, uh, the new front group of the health industry created explicitly to fight Medicare for all. Uh, Well, they have got some new competition now from none other than the Koch brothers, who have just launched a new multi-million dollar healthcare reform campaign that they are contrasting with Medicare for all. Ben, can you tell us a little bit about this new campaign?
1: So, I mean, this appears to be a well-financed national campaign. They've done like, they've done like focus groups, they've done, uh, they've done public, they paid for national public opinion polling, you know, Americans for Prosperity is one of these right-wing groups that actually does have like a grassroots base, um, unlike, Americans for, uh, unlike the um, Partnership for America's Healthcare Future, which is just like a collection of corporations and their lobbyists. So, uh, and again, if you live in kind of a more liberal state, you may not be as familiar with Americans for Prosperity. They're much stronger in kind of red and purple states. Um, and uh, so they're pushing for uh, reforms. I was confused because they have a press release that says, uh, quote, Medicare for all and similar proposals only double down on the failures of a system that ties the hands of patients and caregivers. They don't fix the problems that this crisis has revealed. I beg to differ, Americans, for prosperity. <laughs> I think this would fix exactly the problems this crisis has revealed, like not having, uh, you know, enough providers and not having access to everyone, not having enough testing. Um but their actual proposals once you dig in are really weird, and actually none of them have to do with health care coverage. Um, they want to make telehealth an option, um, and they want to remove occupational and licensing scope of practice restrictions. Um, then they want to make permanent some changes by the Food and Drug Administration. Um, they basically want to remove a lot of uh, requirements that, you know, drugs be found to be effective and um, safe before uh, rolling them out to the public. Um, then they also want to, um, they say they want to let patients access experimental treatments that have been proven to be safe and um, I would also beg to differ the prudent to be safe part, and then they wanted to create a commission to explore additional reforms. So it's a little re- weird, like Medicare for All really doesn't mess with the delivery system. Um, it basically just uh, changes how we pay for everything in a way that you know we cover everyone, and it's a universal insurance system. Um, and they're saying, don't do Medicare for All, instead you should do these other things, which are basically deregulating the delivery system and the drug system. <laughs> um, So, Stephanie, what's your original thought on this, um, what may be a a massive national campaign from the right that we're going to have to deal with here?
0: Yeah, it didn't seem like any of these proposals were really written from, like, a patient-centered, you know, perspective. Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, There was one uh, piece in there, one proposal. Uh, I'll just read it. Uh, They want to make it so that uh, drugs and vaccines that have been approved in the EU and Japan would be automatically approved. <laughs> so if a drug is approved in the EU or Japan, you know, right now it's not the case that they're automatically approved, but Congress can change this by requiring the FDA to automatically approve these new drugs and devices that have been approved by nations whose drug approval processes we trust. Um, Wait a minute. And it goes on to say, there's
1: someone, there's some countries missing from this list, <laughs> Stephanie. I know, um, it's so weird. EU, Japan, like. like
0: what are the other one countries that are like kind of close to us? Like but,
1: Canada, you know, is, so Canada's kind of on the shit list. What?
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Why can't? Why isn't Canada on this list? I think Americans for Prosperity
1: um, just could not bring themselves to. Uh, <laughs> and I guess yeah. now the UK would be left out of that list as well, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, they. I don't know if they're keeping up with you know what's going All on. All the English-speaking
1: you, countries. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. And Australia isn't on that list either. But the the reason I thought it was really funny that they were leaving out Canada is because that has been, you know, there's been a huge argument uh, for why we can't import drugs from Canada. And that's for safety reasons. Mm -hmm. Like, we can't (laughs) trust that Canada is doing the same rigorous testing of, of drugs that we're doing when, of course, it's obviously because, you know, we'd be able to use uh, we'd be able to get those drugs for cheaper because Canada negotiates for on behalf of their patients so that patients can afford medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and this would be a huge boon for us if we could, you know, use that negotiation and import our drugs from Canada. But
1: right. Well, you'll, you'll note Canada's Americans for Prosperity does not want us to import drugs. Uh, they also don't want it to allow us to negotiate drug costs, They just want the drugs to be approved so that we can get the same drugs that Europe and Japan has and pay like four times as much for them.
0: It's a win-win.
1: Right. And uh, some of this, you know, and I suspect a lot of the drug stuff is just very clearly trying to provide cover for Trump, who's been like pushing hydroxychloroquine for treatment of coronavirus without any, you know uh evidence-based reason to think that it would work or that it would be safe for people um, in fact there's there's some initial evidence that it, there are safety concerns and that it may not work um so you know there's this this quote in the americans prosperity saying we want to eliminate the requirement that a drug be shown to be effective <laughs> and that that will cut years off of the normal fda drug they actually say this they say we want to eliminate the requirement that a drug be shown to be effective um which is usually you don't put that into a press release. You say, <laughs> you you use some legalese <laughs> language. Um, so this is the crazy new Americans for Prosperity right wing campaign. Um, but I you know connecting back to our earlier topic, I would not be surprised if we see some of the stuff on the Senate side, right, where they're going to say, sure we'll give aid to states and cities, but. We want to make permanent these changes that the FDA has made and start deregulating, making the drug approval process even worse than it is now, and it's not very good right now.
0: It's so weird. Unlike Medicare for all, this is not a cohesive vision for mm-hmm. how we should run our healthcare system. It's just like a patchwork of industry demands on how they can sort of boost sto- their stocks and their the profits that they make.
1: Yeah, but it's it also could be a dangerous new approach. You know, I've been kind of wondering after repeal and replace just like totally fell flat on its face, what was going to be the new right wing approach? And this could be the, you know, similar to the way that the right approaches like abortion access. Uh, They don't take a front on approach to it. They don't try and, you know, well, they do try and repeal uh, Roe v. Wade, especially now with the change in the Supreme Court. But for decades now, they've been finding ways to chip away at, you know the actual ability of providers to provide um, abortion services by saying you have to have hallways this wide you have to have you know these extra uh, licenses and requirements for providers that are very hard to meet Um, so maybe they're trying to do this with the healthcare system too it's just going to be like well we can't win with a full-on frontal attack on the affordable care act and public health insurance so we're just going to try and chisel away at all of the protections that we have and all of the the little things and so I don't want to dismiss this approach as non-coherent, even though it is kind of ridiculous and non-coherent, because I worry a little bit that it represents a new approach to right-wing assault on our access to health care.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely worry that while leftists are out like... I'm too radical for working within the system. Republicans are like, we're
1: not. (laughs) Yeah, and that's kind of us, to be honest. So (laughs) we're... we're (laughs) (laughs) Did I just (laughs) self-own? Yeah. Um, But we're going to have to keep an eye on this movement going forward and really be careful about it. Um, So uh, on the topic of our enemies... (coughs) Excuse me. I don't have coronavirus. On the topic of our enemies... some interesting developments with the health insurance industry Um, Mm -hmm. obviously they're having their way trying to get a they're pushing hard for congress to give them a bailout but around the same time that they've been demanding you know these subsidies for cobra and they've been threatening that you know coronavirus will be so expensive for their members that they're gonna have to jack up premiums you know by 40 percent for next year uh, they also have to have phone calls with their investors, you know, with their stock owners, um, and they tell a very different narrative to the people who are who own them. Um, and you know, at the end of each quarter, this is often when these stockholder uh, conference calls take place. So. Uh, you know the end of the first quarter was very good for health insurance companies they almost all saw increases in income and profits and that's because even though they were paying extra money to treat people the people who got coronavirus um, as you've probably heard people are not getting almost all the other types of health care right any elective procedures are being put off because they're worried if you go to a hospital you it can increase your risk uh, somewhat of, of getting coronavirus and if you can put it off then uh, a lot of people are putting it off. So that is actually a money maker for the insurance companies. And altogether, they're doing very well. So their first quarter of profits were good. Um, and then they have their stockholder calls. And uh, pretty much every large health insurance company in the country has been telling their stock owners that they expect to meet or exceed their profit projections for 2020 and for 2021. So they do not see coronavirus as a crisis for their profits. But they're crying wolf to Congress, right? They're saying, this is going to be a crisis for us. You have to bail us out. So Stephanie, what do you yeah. think of our good friends, the health insurance industry?
0: <laughs> oh, man. It just makes me so sad to hear and think about all of the people who are dying at home of strokes and heart attacks and stuff mm-hmm. because they, they're they just not wanting to take a risk to go to mm-hmm. the hospital during, you know, when they could get coronavirus. And then they don't go for something really urgent and they you know and it ends up costing them their life um and and when i think about you know that and how that's actually a huge boon to the insurance industry and it's something that they can report back as profits it's just so it's just really messed up <laughs> yeah there's no incentive in our system to create you know like in denmark where we have like a corona center you know where we're like mm-hmm. trying to separate the corona and so that we can you know still attend to people's needs, healthcare needs, that don't go away just because we have this, like, coronavirus thing. So that was just the first thing that popped into my head. But of course, this whole, you know, profit perverse incentive is just like another reason that we need the single payer healthcare system. I mean, the savings that we reap from reduced utilization of services right now should belong to the system and be used to mm-hmm. pay for the surge uh, in coronavirus care. Um, and if the government decides to step in to pay for Corona care, you know, to um, to prevent insurers from jacking up the prices mm-hmm. next year, um, and this is something that some centers have actually proposed. This was actually a proposal in the New York Times. Um, it means that our premiums are just going to go right in the pockets of the insurers right. uh, instead of going to coronavirus care, um, and instead our tax dollars are going to subsidize the, the expensive stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah.
1: Not a fan. Yeah. And I mean, incredibly during this healthcare crisis, the healthcare system is, is working for no one in the country, but it is working for the companies who are running the healthcare system. Um, and I was shocked by this. There was a Gallup survey, um, just to the point you were making. Um, they asked people, uh, would you seek healthcare for a fever and a dry cough? Um, or would you not because of worries that you couldn't pay for it? And, one out of every seven adults reported they would avoid seeking health care if they had a fever and a dry cough, um, oh as God. well as for members of their households because they'd be worried about ability to pay for it. Um, and at the same time, uh, we're bas- basically raising more money for, for rich people, for folks who own the shares of, of these large health insurance companies. Um, and you know, I, I looked into some of the actual company calls, Um, you know, the CEO of Cigna said that, you know, the medical, the, the medical costs from COVID-19 pandemic would be offset by deferred healthcare procedures due to the healthcare crisis. And, you know, they talk about medical costs as a bad thing. (laughs) Like you getting healthcare to them is a loss. So they're like, well, they want
0: coronavirus to go on forever.
1: uh, I, this is literally true. I mean, no one would ever say it, but it's a good business model for them. Right. Yeah. Um, and then. Centene, on their call with uh, investors, this is even more shocking because Centene, they have, uh, you know, a lot of Medicare and Medicaid has been privatized. Um, There's Medicare Advantage plans. These are for-profit, you know, private health insurance companies who run Medicare programs. Um, And a lot of Medicaid programs have been privatized by states. They've been handed over to private insurance companies to run. And Centene kind of specializes in these you know, privatized, publicly funded healthcare plans. So they run a lot of Medicaid programs with a lot of states and they run a bunch of uh, Affordable Care Act plans. So for them, everyone becoming unemployed is a huge boon because people are gonna be kicked off of their employer-based insurance and a chunk of them will land on Medicaid, and or will have to buy insurance through the exchanges. So, to their call with investors, they had previously projected a 2020 revenue of 104.8 billion. Uh, it boggles the mind to 105.6 billion, but they said uh, they expect pass-through and non-economic environment revenue growth. I don't even know what that means. Uh, of two billion additional, and then they're gonna get another four billion in current economic environment revenue growth. Um, I think that mean, I think economic environment means everything is going to shit. People are being unemployed. <laughs> so they're expecting yeah. four billion additional from every, from the economy going to total shit and people falling into these safety net programs that they run and make money off of. and then two billion dollars extra from God knows what, maybe that's the people putting off the care that they, they need, but it's not safe to do so right now.
0: It's crazy how you just like can't escape the private health insurance industry. It's like, let's expand Medicaid. Oh, wait, Medicaid is 80% delivered by right. <laughs> private insurers. Can
1: we go back to the beginning of the show and like leave these motherfuckers off of the podcast? <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah. the, our burglar is like a saint in comparison. <laughs> I agree 100%. So on that note, um, it's good to be back on the air. Um, we forgot to mention, <laughs> Stephanie, you are coming to us via Denmark. Yeah,
0: <laughs> can you hear? Can you hear the Danish happening behind me? It's actually really late where I am and early where Ben is. So
1: you've escaped the Corona catastrophe zone—that is the U.S. of A.
0: <laughs> I did, and it's so weird here. Like, n- you know, no one is social distancing, no one's wearing a mask. Mm. People are just going about their daily lives, which is—it's a little weird. But at the same time, Denmark has been doing really well in flattening the curve, and the curve is kind of like—I think there were only four or five deaths now every day from coronavirus mm-hmm. and the case number is like significantly going down. So they kind of like nipped it in the bud and mm-hmm. controlled it. And now like life is going back to normal here and it's so weird and I'm not sure if I'm coming back. I'm sorry, Ben. I
1: wonder how they did that. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure it had nothing to do with and their healthcare system. <laughs> Oh, nothing no. at all, no.
0: And, but yeah, it's, we could do a whole other podcast about mm-hmm. how Denmark handled the coronavirus. Maybe we should. Really if you're still there. Maybe we should. Maybe we can do yeah, yeah. coming
1: to you via Copenhagen.
0: <laughs> that would be awesome. All.
1: all right, well, we will be back next week. Again, if you're able to make a donation to Healthcare Now or the Healthcare Now Education Fund uh, to help us with our office move expenses, that would be so awesome. We will put a link in the show notes. Um, but otherwise, we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. 20 minutes, minutes again.